We are four girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Please try to keep in mind that we keep our podcast around PG-13, so if you have longer longer listeners, <laughs> younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. We never do this perfectly, except for Kenzie. She nails it every time. It's true. That's true. Well, anyway, I'm Abby. I'm Katie. And I'm Emily. So let's talk about stuff. <laughs> Sorry we've not- been gone for like so long. <laughs> it's been a crazy time, listeners. So basically, Katie started a new job. Also got a new cat that's very cute. Yeah. Kitty cat. I She is the best thing in the world. I'm sure we'll post a picture of her on the Instagram eventually. But she's a precious, precious angel baby, and I love her. And she has taken up a lot of my attention since she has come into our house. And then Emily and I are helping with summer camp this year for our organization. We sure are. So <laughs> we have been having a crazy time getting ready. So that is our lame but accurate excuses. And then Kenzie's internet is out today. Oh my gosh, because her internet was literally cut off. By a lawn company. By a lawnmower. (laughs) So she wants to be here, um, but unfortunately, she has no internet, which is a little bit essential for remote recording a podcast. Dang. Technology. So those are all of our lame excuses. We're really sorry. We hope to be more regular um, now that we have our schedules a little bit more nailed down for the summer. Yeah. So anyway, who are we shouting out? We are shouting out my brother, Robbie, for suggesting this episode topic and for being a patron. He has been a lover of our podcast since day one. Thanks for all your support, bro. So, yeah, thanks, Robbie. And, yeah, we actually I had a lot of fun researching for this episode. I think this topic is really cool. And you like think when you hear it, you're like, how much could you really talk about that? You're about to find out, listeners. <laughs> so before that, though, we're going to do our little conservation and zoo updates. And I don't know. Oh, and our beluga news. I was like of about course, to say it, but there. You're it's like, there. what's that other thing? <laughs> uh, so for conservation updates, I have two things. Uh, the first is about birds. Yeah. So, yeah, I, there it is. That's what I was waiting for. Uh, it's about bird migrations that are currently happening For a lot of birds here in the U.S., in North America in general, if you are also in Canada. Uh, But it is migratory season. And unfortunately, with migratory season, there comes a lot of window collisions. Uh, And window collisions do actually kill billions of birds worldwide every year. Um, Off topic, this literally happened the other day at work. Um, We found a grackle that was in front of our window at the chimp habitat. It was definitely that it flew into the window pane because oh. it looked completely unharmed beside that. Um, and yeah, so it's rough. They Birds will see uh, not a window. They will see reflected outdoor plants. They'll see reflected rival birds, basically themselves. Um, or they'll see indoor plants on the other side of the window and think, oh, that's a safe place I can fly to. Um, 
unfortunately, obviously that does not work out for the bird. Uh, there's two things though that you can do to help this issue. Uh, one is creating a visual barrier on windows for birds to see. Uh, so this can be window tape, like literally just putting lines of tape um, vertically down your window about two inches apart. Uh, you could put fun little strings or ribbons down just to create, again, that visual kind of barrier. Um, putting your blinds down when you're not home or you're not using that window uh, is a great way to obviously create that barrier. Decals or window film. I We have window film on our bedroom window to our apartment because we're on the ground floor and like people walk by our windows all the time. And I don't like that for our bedroom. So it's literally, we bought this like window film from, I think we might've gotten it at Home Depot. And it's like a gorgeous, like rainbow kind of kaleidoscope looking film. And it peel, like you stick it on like a sticker and it peels right off. Uh, and it makes it so that all the sunlight can still shine into your room, but you can't see through the window on either side. So I highly recommend that. It's good stuff. Um, if you don't want to do like the full film, if you get decals that are UV reflective, birds can see UV light. And ah. so you can kind of see through them, but the birds cannot. So they are like, ah, things there. And then they'll, they'll avoid it usually. I love that. Yeah, it's a good time. The second thing that you can do to make window strikes less deadly um, is by keeping or keep bird feeders and bird baths close to windows and put screens on the outside of the windows, which is just um, a great thing to do in general so the buggies don't get in your house. Because we do not like the buggies. <laughs> not in, in house. my house. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, we just don't want them inside. <laughs> um, there is a really awesome website called flap.org that has a lot of great info on this sort of um this sort of thing and just a lot of bird information in general, but flap.org. I was checking out earlier. It's actually a really fun website to explore. It's it based is. in Canada. Your logo kind of makes me sad though because it's just a bird laying on its back. It is. <laughs> you know, that is maybe something they should consider changing. I'd actually, that totally went over my head when I was on the way. I looked at it up. Oh, that's rough. But it is all about, like, this website is about reporting bird collisions. Um, oh, my God. They Okay, this is kind of morbid. There's at the top of the website, it's Bird Death Counter. And it's continuously just increasing right now. And it's making me really anxious. Uh, oh, no. I don't like that. This isn't good for my health. Yeah, well, so if you're a bird lover like Abby, maybe you don't go on this website and look at the yeah. bird counter. <laughs> my just screens increase. are already on the outside of my windows, so I have not had a single bird strike here at my house, which is great. Um, another easy solution is if you take a bar of soap, you can just draw patterns on your windows, and then it washes away, and you can just replace the patterns. Huh. I like that idea, too. Basically, well, make your window not transparent. Yeah, exactly. Who needs to see out of them? Not us. Anyways, uh, my second piece of conservation news kind of is a drawback to conservation news I brought up a couple of weeks ago about a study that came out um, that researchers have found microplastics in human blood. Great stuff. Uh, however, I kind of wanted to dissect that a little more in some other news that's been coming out. 
uh, in there has already been a big push, like since this study came out on consumers to lessen our plastic intake by doing things like buying refillable water bottles or um, not buying like certain brands of glitter. Um, like, you know, like shame on you if you make glitter art, like that sort of like, I don't know what the right word is. Inflam. I don't want to like inflammatory behavior. It's, what is the word I'm looking helping. for? It's not helping. It's yeah. Like those. It's making it worse because you're making people mad about feel stuff. bad. Yeah. Or you're just That's making them feel the guilty point. for It's not like, um, like your five-year-old's project that used glitter at school is not the reason why there is a giant garbage patch in the ocean. Um, but all this to say that the biggest contributor to plastic pollution in the ocean by far, like drastically far, is, is fishing nets and gear. So a lot of times when this sort of thing comes out where it's like, oh, you know, recycle your water bottles or don't... Um, like I said, like use glitter or something that's very mundane to this issue is a oftentimes a tactic by bigger industries to shine light away from the real problem being that they are, they're the problem. They're the problem. Uh, so yeah, fishing nets and fishing gear are the number one plastic pollute pollutant in the ocean. Um, one study found that as much as 70% by weight of macroplastics found floating at the surface of the ocean was fishing related. And 86% of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is fishing nets. Uh, all this to say that while changing our personal habits is a great way to reduce our everyday impact on the environment and like we should still do it. Uh, what really needs to change are fishing laws and industries surrounding that issue. Is, <laughs> is typing, ah, there's no such thing as sustainable seafood. <laughs> Crying face. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a whole. That's not to say, still look at your seafood watch app and do that sort of thing, but. um, There are more sustainable options. Yes. Yeah. The moral of the story is the most sustainable fish is the fish you catch yourself. Yeah. There you go. So That's this is truth. to say that we're all going to live in a remote log cabin. You can join our commune if you'd like. We're going to have conservation, an aquaculture farm. Conservation Queens commune. <laughs> Triple C. Oh, no, I mean, Keeper CQC. Keeper Chats also made a commune, so maybe we can just merge with theirs, because I feel like they, Listen, they'd be on the same page as we are. The more people I talk to about it, I'm like, yeah, we should just make a self-sustaining commune and just leave society behind. And it's not a terrible, like, you know, in my brain, my brain's like, yeah, it's not a terrible idea. And then logistically, we're like, it. we know nothing. Yeah, logistically, it's not going to happen, but. Our money is going to be like rocks. <laughs> I found this really nice rock. Oh, that is at least worth four dozen eggs. Amazing. Oh my God, we can have chickens. So yeah, um, Emily also just added, do you want to say this bit, Emily? Yeah. Um, so FWC reported a couple of days ago, like I think it was two days ago now, um, that a sperm whale washed up dead um, in the Florida Keys. Um, and they just did a preliminary necropsy um, today. And they announced that the preliminary results of that necropsy are that the whale died because its stomach was full of a combination of um, fishing gear, fishing nets, and a plastic bag-like material is what they said. Mm -hmm. um, 
in that the whale essentially starved to death because its stomach was full of garbage. That's upsetting. I hate being here. Well, and this happens a lot with sperm whales, especially because they're deep diving and they're looking for like squid and stuff like that. So they're more likely than other whales and dolphins to eat um, things that are not their intended food source. Thanks. I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, that's it for my conservation news. <laughs> oh, wait, no. I have a piece of good news for all of you. Um. This is, I thought this was noteworthy. Chinook salmon was introduced to mountain streams not inhabited by Chinook salmon for a hundred years. Wow. So they brought them back. This was in uh, California. Uh, State and federal biologists have been busy moving endangered adult winter run Chinook salmon to the upper reaches of Battle Creek um, and also to Clear Creek in Northern California, where they will where the colder temperatures in these areas will better support spawning and help their eggs survive through the continuing drought that's going on in uh, California right now. Uh, Obviously salmon is super important in maintaining a lot of other populations. My favorite be those bears. We love bears. Bears. I'm wearing a bear scrunchie today. If deadly animal, why cute ears? Hmm? Why round ears? Hmm? If not friend, why friend shaped? (laughs) Why just want hug? Um, (laughs) Why just want hug? Why have to be last hug? That's your. Why have to be last hug? This is this could stay or not up to you guys, but (laughs) no, we're keeping it. uh, Literally on our gorilla tour today, uh, so we have guests that come on our gorilla tour and they basically participate in a window training session with us and one of our gorillas and (laughs) at the end of the thing this woman was like don't you just want to hug her like i just want to hug her how do you not hug her like when you're with her and the keeper that i was like shadowing was like well we're never we always are like have protected contact which means there's always a barrier and blah blah." and she was like no but don't you just want to hug her and we're like, you know, she answered it with a, like, well, we want to respect their space and how they are wild animals. Like, she gave the correct answer. And later we told my other coworker, and we said, like, what she, the woman said, and she just goes, because it would be your last talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I could not stop laughing. I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, She'd be like, yeah, you could hug her, but it'd be your last one. No more. All done. <laughs> All right, let's go on to zoo news. I got two bummers and one upper. Hey, same. So Great. Let's start with the bummers. Uh, you've probably heard about this, listeners, because it happened like two weeks ago. Um, but a wild fox got into the National Zoo in D.C. in their habitat, and it killed 25 flamingos and a duck. Oh my gosh. And then three flamingos were also injured, and they're being treated. But... That is absolutely insane. That is flamingos. Yeah, that made me sad. I love my mingos. So our hearts go to the keeper team. Um, this is another freak accident. Those have just kind of been happening lately. It's not so like it's. Every time I've ever heard of a native animal, like you know, 
killing a zoo animal, it's always coyotes and it's always in a savanna-like setting. So that is really interesting to me that it was a fox and flamingos. And so many! Like, what was this fox doing? Why I, so much bloodshed? Who knows? Um, maybe, no. It was like, maybe the flamingos attacked it, but like, one versus 25 and the fox wins? Well, one versus 74, because there's 74 flamingos <gasps> in the original flock. Oh my god! So, if you're concerned about the fox still being there, the staff have moved the remaining flamingos and the ducks indoors to a covered space um that are it's it's secure and then now they're conducting more they're looking at the exhibit again seeing how it happened um and they have reinforced the metal mesh and that's true they have some live traps set so they're not going to kill the fox because foxes just be foxing but they're trying to live trap it to move it somewhere else that might be safer for it and the animals. And they also put up camera traps. So hopefully they'll be able to figure out what's going on. This is the face of a killer. It's just like a little fox. <laughs> and like I don't blame the fox because foxes be foxing. And he was like, wow, these ones can't run away. But it's still like, <laughs> it's not good though. Um, and just to make our day a little sadder. Um, <laughs> oh my god. You might have heard, because we put it on our Instagram for anybody who's in the Detroit area looking for their wallaby baby um, that they've been looking for for a long time, and um, they think that it was snatched by a raptor. Yeah, I don't see any other likely scenario No, in that case. Like, no one was, like, no human was hopping in there. Saying, hey, mom, mind if I just reach in your pouch real quick? And stealing the baby wallaby, like. And it's a brand new baby, too. It says it was only five or six months old. It's hard to know with wallabies because they're in the pouch for a long time. Before they, yeah, before they get out. So it's not. It's rabbit size. It's tiny. Mm -hmm. So another sad thing. But I've got. That's a good thing. Dang it. I've got a good one. And this one's really cool. So a baby giraffe, this is the title of the article, is a baby giraffe born with a disorder gets modified leg braces designed for humans. Oh. So in the San Diego Zoo, because of course it's San Diego Zoo. Um, yeah, true that. The, 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 a baby female giraffe, um, her name is Mitsin- Mitsuni. It's M-S-I-T-U-N-I. Yeah, I think you said it right. Zuni? Sure. This baby giraffe, I'm going to go with baby giraffe because I don't know. Um, her front forelimbs were bending the opposite direction. Ouch. Uh, right. So they really were worried because the calf was born on uh, February 1st. And they're like, we need to get this girl fixed up. Um, so they reached out to so orthopedics experts. And... Wow. The doctor took some leg braces designed for people, for marathoners. <laughs> Let's just try it. Like with marathoners with, with um, multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. And they they made the prosthetics for the baby giraffe. That's funny. They should have named the baby Forrest Gump. Oh. Yeah. And then That's eventually... Amazing. It would just run so fast that the braces would just fly right off. Yeah, that's exactly how it would happen. 
Um, they, this is the same team. Um, a different team is okay. So the let me start over with that sentence because I just had a brain <laughs> fart. So this clinic is the hanger clinic. It's the orth- it's an orthopedic clinic, right? They mm-hmm. made these prosthetics for the giraffes. They're the same company that made Winter's oh um, prosthetic in dolphin yeah, wow. at the Clearwater Aquarium. Huh. So pretty cool. Clearly, they should make a business change. <laughs> Honestly, they're now like maybe we should do that. I don't know if they're actually going to do it, but um, in the end, the giraffe only needed one brace. The other leg corrected itself with the medical grade brace. Um, and now she's like living her best life. Good for her. So, They're gonna have to get her many new ones because she will grow out of them fast. Uh, like once a week, but <laughs> pretty cool. And then the doctor who did it said he's hoping to hang up a picture of the baby giraffe in her patterned brace so the kids he treats will be inspired to wear. Stop! Theirs. Stop it! That's Stop the first thing I've ever heard in my life. So awesome! So. It's basically incredible. Yeah, I see a children's book from that. Oh, <laughs> really yeah. easy. I mean, Winter got a bunch of movies, so. That's true. All right, Emily, I'm sure that there's no sad beluga news ever. Uh, I have a medium and then a good one. Um, okay, so it's time for I'm beluga medium. news. The best news is medium. Um, I mean, pro and con, right? So the first one is that um, because there are still um, like the Canadian borders are still semi-closed to some countries and for some um, like visas um, mm-hmm. because of COVID, um, but that's causing issues for their normal um, polar bear and beluga tourism economy, um, which is kind of sad because nobody's going to see them because they can't get into Canada. Um so yeah, I mean, yay, we're keeping COVID out of Canada, but boo, people want to see whales, you know. What this if, is Emily. Um, what if you wants to see your whales? What if you took a it's big me. boat and everybody wants to see the belugas because on the big boat, and then they just travel only through the water, so they're not actually going on land at all. <laughs> well, it's just like a big. As- they just take them right back cruise. to the New York side of Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah, because like clearly in the U.S. we don't care about anything, so it's fine. Um, Okay, well, I do have one very good one, um, which I stumbled upon, and it's the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, Okay, so we've talked about um, citizen science before. Um, This is kind of a crossover episode for citizen science, um, where it's actually more of like a data science operation. But basically, NOAA has worked together with all these um, data organizations and they have all of these photo ID photos of beluga whales, but they want to ID them and say which beluga whale is which. So they're looking for someone to write a software program that IDs them. Um, you can win money by doing this. So if you're into data science or you are a software engineer, um, they are looking. You can literally just Google like, well, first of all, the program is called Where's, it's like supposed to be like Waldo, like Where's Waldo, but it's Where's Waldo. Um, oh that's great i didn't name it but um so if you are interested in that or you know somebody who's interested in that check it out um i thought it was like some of those other like zooniverse citizen sciences where like it shows me the whale and it's like which whale is it well no wrong this is like eight levels above that um so like not for your average uh emily to do so i really wish i knew 
programming. <laughs> yeah, basically, if you know programming or you know somebody who does and you want to win money, the top prize is 15 grand. Um, the wow. second prize is eight grand and the prizes go down from there. And I think like Holy the top cow. 10, um, all get okay. some sort of monetary I'm going to go prize. learn programming. Yeah. yeah so get pretty cool. That, Katie. <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> no problem. Um, speaking of beluga whales, they are the best whale in the world. Why? Because they have the most perfect camouflage in the world. Speaking oh of camouflage. <laughs> Wow, look at that segue. I just did it so fast. <laughs> We'd be talking about camouflage, friends, and Yay. all the forms of it. There there are. That's There's quite true. a few. I was going to say, everybody, when they think of camouflage, quite a many. thinks of the first part we're going to talk about. But really, it's like kind of insane. It's a really cool topic. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> so should we jump right in? Go jump right it. in. So camouflage is basically when you're trying to appear like something different or like your surroundings right so the most basic form of camouflage is called background matching or color matching so an animal can blend into their environment simply by matching the color of their surroundings so this is why animals um, like a lot of uh, birds like screech owls or tawny frogmouths um, kangaroos match the color of the environment they're in okay but a little note on screech owls not only do they color camouflage but they they have little tufts on the top of their head. Yeah. And when they're camouflaging, they stick them up and they look like they just, I don't it's know. A little they look perfect. Yeah. They look like they're just a tiny little part of the tree. And it kills me. Every time I looked at our screech owl and I couldn't find him, I was usually staring directly at him. It is how it happens. It's actually, I like to point this out a lot when I talk about birds. It's why female birds are. Um, usually more drab in color is because they're trying to blend into their environment and also keep their babies safe. So yeah, that's I'm trying why... to risk it all. No, they're actually not smarter. for no man. No, and then the man's like risking it all for the ladies. Actually, so <laughs> would you really want be. to be the pretty bird, or do you want to be the one that lives? So... <laughs> Personally, I'd rather be the female bird that that lives. Um, so that's. When we think of camouflage, this is what we're thinking of. We're thinking of animals that match their background. Um, and that works really great on land, uh, in the ocean, as we've talked about. Not very much is blue. So, Emily, what is what is the way that ocean people – or ocean people, wow. Ocean people. How do mermaids blend in? <laughs> yeah, there's not mermaids. Okay, let's talk about my favorite thing, which I think I talk about darn near every episode – um, but that's okay. It's countershading. Woo. Um, so we've talked about this before. Um, the greatest example is going to be an animal like a penguin or a killer whale, a great white shark, a dolphin. What do they all have in common? And that's that their belly is white or light gray. And their top of their body is their dorsal side of their body is either a darker color um, or a different color. Um, it kind of depends on the environment that they're in. But like, for example, we'll use a penguin. Um, they have a black back and a white belly. So this helps um, in environments that are vertically separated. So this does not always mean the ocean. It can be in the air. So a lot of birds are countershaded. Um, animals that live in trees. So a lot of like, like Squirrel. squirrels are countershaded. Um, things like that. Um, many, many animals are countershaded to some degree. And this just is simply because anybody who's going to be above them they're going to look down and see that dark back. It's going to blend into the substrate that they're on, whether that's water or the ground. 
Um, and then anybody underneath them is going to look up and that white belly or that lighter colored belly is going to blend in with the sunlight above. Um, this is the most widespread form of camouflage in the ocean, especially, but it's everywhere. Um, something really cool about countershading is that, is that there are animals that do the complete opposite, reverse countershading, where they have a light back and a dark belly. Um, and usually this is a, you should be afraid of me type of camouflage. I um, never heard of that one. Yes. So there are a couple notable examples. Um, the first one is skunks. Um, and that is a, oh, like, hey, stay away from cool. me. I'm not like everybody else. I'm not like other girls. I, Watch out. I'm not like other girls. <laughs> exactly. That's a kind of uh, countershading? Yeah. I, I didn't it know is. that. It is. There, and then, um, so there's another reason that some animals are reverse countershaded. And it has to do with the way that they feed. Um, and it's that they feed upside down. Um, so blue dragon sea slugs or nudibranchs, um, they are reverse countershaded because they swim upside down. Um, they swim with their belly side towards the sun and they're well, uh, weird looking. Yes. And then Nile catfish actually do the same thing. They swim upside down so that their so their backs are white and their bellies are black so that when they're flipped upside down, swimming along, catching their food, they're countershaded. Um, um this blue like dragon that. looks like a Pokemon. Yes, they do. Um, they are also extremely toxic, so do not touch them. Oh, why are people holding them? Well, like every photo is someone holding one in the palm of their hand. Yep. Seems like a bad call, Chief. <laughs> uh, this one is for sure photoshopped because it's the size of their hand. No, they're very small. Oh, okay. Then most of these are photoshopped except for that one on like the they're person's like, Look finger. Look at this big one. And you're like... My dude. I call um, fake news. Yeah. Abby, I think you have the next one. Oh, sorry. I wasn't I was looking at new to brank pictures. What do not right. um, fish look like? So this is my favorite one because I love having kids right. say it when I talk to them. We're talking about disruptive coloration. Can you guys say that? Disruptive, disruptive coloration. coloration. Good job, anemones. So basically an animal that has a pattern on its body, stripes, spots weird shapes help break up the outline of these animals um it's a really cool way to have other things misinterpret what they're looking at um and my favorite example is actually tigers because when you look at a tiger you're like it's orange orange is the literal color hunters wear so they don't get like hurt in the <laughs> wood <laughs> so why would you be orange right but if you have a solid orange it's really easy to see if you add stripes in it gets more complicated. Then and then you end if up you staring at the tiger habitat for 10 minutes, wondering where is the tiger when it is directly in front of you? Well, and then if you're a prey animal like an antelope uh, and you don't have red r cones in your eyes, then a tiger is black and gray against a green background and they just look like shadows. And if you ever get a chance to like Google search, actually, you guys should do it right now. Camouflage tiger. It is insane. They're, they're real well, real well camouflaged. And like giraffes too. And that's the one that freaks me out the most because giraffes are deceptively good at camouflage because they're so big. You would think that they were, there'd be no way. Um, and I've maybe told this story before, but there was a time when I was sitting abroad in Africa that we did not. My group did not realize we were in the middle of a herd of giraffes until we were in the what? middle of the herd of giraffes. Did I not tell you about this? No. 
Oh, this is one of the, um, let's call it close calls that we had. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> we were out birding as one does. And I was doing a bird project. So it was for, it, and we were in a public park. We were just walking around looking for birds. So we were looking in the trees and all of a sudden we're like, we kept, like hear, heard some noise. We look around and there's like seven giraffes around us. Well, dang. And they just camouflaged so well with the trees that we didn't even notice. And then the prob the problem came in when we saw a baby giraffe. And we didn't get uh -oh. close to it because we were like biology students. We knew what we were doing. But then the big bull giraffe decided we were too close to it. And he started <laughs> stomping his feet. Mm, um, better go. back up. Better back but up. We, uh, in a single file line, one at a time, without looking at any giraffes, just keeping our eyes straight ahead, slowly walked out of that area. Um, but it was... And she has lived to tell the tale, ladies I and gentlemen. I have. That is only one of five near-death experiences. Oh my God. <laughs> one of five. One of these days, I will. I'll do like a an episode. We're just gonna do an Abby discusses her top five <laughs> closest encounters in Africa. Kenzie did her scary stuff about uh, working with bats. I can do the times I almost died in Africa. I have to say, I don't think I almost died. Uh, in Australia, there's got there's no. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm thinking uh, maybe. Mm, mm, okay, <laughs> there are more times than I thought. <laughs> so, Never listeners, mind. let us know. Do you want to talk about our near death experiences in field research? Yeah, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so other animals that might have used disruptive coloration include butterflies or orcas because they just look like little floaty white dots that's not going to be a good predator and then oh. all of a sudden you realize you have literally encountered the worst animal to ever encounter and exactly. for for butterflies it's the eye spots so it's not just and birds like a, yeah like so eye spots are a good example of disruptive coloration because it's all about causing predators or prey to misinterpret what they're looking at so the eye spots make a butterfly look like they might be part of a larger animal that's staring you down. And all of a sudden you're like, ah, gotta go, gotta go. If um, you can't run from them, just confuse them. One of my favorite birds, um, you're, about, you're both about to groan, is called a great Argus pheasant. Oh. <laughs> called it. And the males have giant eye spots on their feathers. They're related to peacocks, but they're not quite as evil, except for one individual that we can't get into right now um but they their eye spots um literally make them look like an insane predator when it's just like a bird so definitely is effective it's just a fancy bird it's a fancy bird and then toads toads got lots of patterns on them no one can find a toad yep they camouflage real well they do. I step outside my front door and 20 of them leap out of the abyss. Into, now, they, they all I, go scatter! They scat! run in different directions. I wish that I could camouflage super duper well like the toad, but I can't. But maybe, Emily, can you teach us how to camouflage? Yes, absolutely. This, um, is, this may be my favorite form, I think. This is pretty good. For one particular reason, and it's Bebo the sea urchin on TikTok. This is true. That's accurate. Um, okay, so um, there is a form of camouflage that a select few group of animals do 
Um, and it is called self-decoration. And it's what it sounds like. Um, <laughs> these animals will decorate you themselves. Dress up. Yeah. Uh, to blend in. So, for example, sea urchins, a lot of them will collect things. Some of them are literally called collector urchins. Um, and they will put things on top of themselves because they're like, mm, if something is on top of me, then you can't see me. Um, <laughs> they're so I've hided. Yes, exactly. So like in the wild, they'll put shells and algae and rocks and all kinds of stuff. Um, but in aquariums, you can give them all <laughs> kinds have of fun, fun things. And they will pick it up and they will put it on and parade around with it. So um, I, I've, got to tell, facility... I've got to tell an anecdote. Uh... Go on. So our urchins at our aquarium have recently been allowed to wear hats. It's very good. And the first day that it it's happened, <laughs> Emily, oh, Emily came sprinting down the stairs and she was like, they're wearing hats. I literally ran faster than I think I've ever run in my and life. And none of us, we had zero context for what she was talking about. So we were like, what? And then when she slowed down and explained it, we all took turns covering for each other in various positions so we could all look at the sea urchins wearing hats. I literally ran thing. so fast. I was just like, the people need to know. It was a good time. It was the best day. Um, okay, so anyway, so urchins will wear stuff. Um, there are crabs that will wear things. Some of them wear anemones as defense, um, as well as camouflage. Um, there are a lot of bugs that will decorate themselves in garbage, basically. Not garbage, but to make themselves look oh, essentially like a pile of garbage. Yeah. Um, just, you know, lovely bug things. Um, and then there are <laughs> a wonderful group of animals who they've just decided, you know what? If I just move really slowly, like just so slow, then algae will grow on me and then no one will see me. Um, and this works really well for them. So this uh, applies to animals like uh, sloths or manatees or um, what was the other one here? Sea turtles. Sea turtles. Freaking sea turtles, man. Um, uh, sea turtles I'm will gonna... get covered in algae and barnacles and all kinds of fun things. I'm going to make a guess here and say the sea turtles have absolutely no idea that it's happening to them just based on the sea turtles that I have met before. I would... Oh, I'm, I mean, that. I'm pretty sure that's the case with sloths and and manatees. manatees well, let's be real. like it's not that they're actively trying to grow things on themselves. They but just it does help. I mean, they've evolved too, so it's obviously you know an evolution. An well, evolutionary just thing thinking for about them. their brains is kind of like the size of well, their all three of those animals that we just mentioned don't have much of one. <laughs> Okay, we got, we got a new uh, person at um, the aquarium, and they were at the cart with all of the stuff on it, and uh-huh. I was like, oh, do you know my favorite sea turtle fact? And she was like, no. And I picked it up, and I was like, this is where their brain goes. And she just was like, That was like I'm the sorry, number one thing what? I talked about with the, um, they had like a prop sea turtle skull, um, like a model of one. And if you were to look inside, they got a big head, loggerheads in particular, and, and the little spot, like Emily said, where the brain goes is, is like the size of a walnut. It's a That's marble. True. It's teeny. So, you know, they do what they can. They do their darndest. But anyways, we're going to move on to the next form of camouflage, which is mimesis. Mimesis. God bless you. Zuntite. <laughs> it is similar to mimicry, but it is 
it is not the mimicry of another. We'll talk about mimicry in a bit. Mimesis is when an animal appears to be something that it is not, like another object or plant in particular. Uh, this is very common in insects, so the examples I'm going to name that are insects would be things like the oak leaf butterfly. Holy cow, look it up, oak leaf butterfly. It's literally just a leaf. They look like a little orange leaf. Oh, that's silly. Like, it's kind of crazy how well... It worked like how. Oh, he says, yes. I am a leaf. Evolution, man, is crazy stuff. So, you gotta say the whole thing at evolution. Why? <laughs> Why? Uh, and then you have like classic stick bugs or walking sticks. They're obviously supposed to appear like a stick and they do a pretty darn good job at it. Um, one of my personal favorites in the insect world, or my favorite in Animal Crossing at least, is the orchid mantis. Ah! Gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. little mantis that looks, literally looks like an orchid. Uh, love them. Great little bugs. They should keep doing what they're doing. Well, they and specifically just look like the the orchids' sex organs. Yes. That's true. <laughs> that's true. They do. So, so no, it's because good when for the them. pollinators go to, like... They're like, ha, I eat you. Nice yeah. yeah, it's it's very good camouflage all around. Good for them. 12 out of 10. What camouflage again? <laughs> like, I think it's what it is. It's like, you got stick bugs. They're being a stick. You got, like, the butterflies being a leaf or other bugs being a leaf. But they're like, no. I'm going to take this to the next level. I'm going to be bright pink and look like an orchid. Like, it just really did it. Other I, than... Oh, I'm putting a picture that you need to look at on the dock right now. Okay. I saw um, your one with the giraffes. There are giraffes in this. This picture. one is not mine. That should just... definitely be the Instagram post photo. <laughs> Find the giraffes. <laughs> okay, go. Did you see it? Uh, Stop. Stop. It's, it's so happy. It's, that's that's really cute. Happy frog with the mantis um, on his head. <laughs> I love it. So besides our insect friends uh, who do bemesis, there are a couple of other examples, including the leaf-tailed gecko. Uh, this one's pretty cool. As you might have guessed, its tail be looking like a leaf. But again, it's just like, it's almost too good. It's like they, I don't even know. It's unnecessary. <laughs> like it's it's just, it just is so fascinating to me. The best uh, one then, is the satanic leaf-pailed gecko. <laughs> and then the other one, what, did I, what was the other one? Oh, Bobby Gongs. Wobby gongs. So wobby gongs is just a fun word to say in general, but they are a species of shark that are, uh, they're bottom dwellers. So they hang out on the bottom, the, the ocean floor and they have these little, what would you call them? Like, what did you say? Tassels. Tassels. Are we talking about Wobbegong still? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would work. Tassels. Uh, that makes I think it sound I called dirty. them whiskers. They're called tassel Wobbegongs. Really... Oh, okay. That is the, the legit. Oh, you're right. I see it right there. So I think they look like whiskers or a funny beard. Basically, they're meant to look like seaweed. 
or other things that fishies might be interested in eating on the ocean floor. They swim up to it and wajam. The wabigong swallows them whole. Did you say wajam? Yes. Wajam. <laughs> and that fish wajam. is gone. Uh, they had wabigongs at an aquarium I used to work at. And I loved them very much. I always thought that they just looked so cool and so weird. They do be gulping. So, yeah. So they look like uh, uh, like seaweed and algae. Good for them. That is all about mimesis. Next one I'm going to go into is aposmatic coloration. <gasps> this is so cool. This is kind of the opposite of the traditional uh, camouflage that we've been talking about in that this animal wants you to see them and they want you to know it. Uh, so aposmatic coloration is a warning coloration that makes predators aware of the toxic or dangerous characteristics of another another animal. So there are three examples I'm going to mention. We got monarch butterflies. I feel like no one knows that monarch butterflies and monarch caterpillars are toxic, um, but they are. They're toxic to many birds and other animals. So they are trying to tell them, hey, don't eat me. I don't taste good and your stomach is not going to feel great if you do. So that is why they, when they're caterpillars, they're like bright um, white, yellow, and black stripes, super bright on them. And then when they are obviously adult butterflies, they are a bright orange uh, to warn things not to eat them. Then you have things like coral snakes, uh, which are bright yellow, white, and wait, nope. Red, yellow, and black. If red touches yellow, kill a fellow. fellow. Yeah. Yeah. So red on yellow kills a fellow. Yeah. They're bright snakes, brightly striped. They're really tiny, um, but they are pretty common. Uh, And then you have, like, an obvious one is, like, poison dart frogs. Those are very brightly colored, blue, green, little froggies. Red, the tomato ones. Or red, the tomato ones. Adorable. Uh, Now, that being said, this is what I mentioned earlier, there is mimicry. Mimicry is animals that mimic the coloration of toxic animals to ward off predators. Basically, they're like hanging out and let's say it's a viceroy butterfly. You're hanging out by your friend, the monarch butterfly. And you notice that all your viceroy buddies keep getting picked off by birds. And you're like, hey, what gives? None of the monarchs are getting eaten. What's that about? So they so go to order, Daddy Darwin. So they go, <laughs> they go to evolution and they're like, hey, maybe we could also look like a monarch butterfly. And maybe things won't eat us as much. And Daddy Darwin was like, all right, sounds good to me. And that is, they evolved alongside monarch butterflies uh, to mimic their coloration so that they could also ward off predators even though they are not toxic. Uh, another similar example is the king snake. King snake wants you to think it's a coral snake, but it is completely harmless and can't do anything to you. Uh, so king snakes, that's the other part of like, if you've ever heard the red on yellow kill a fellow, um, what is the other red part of it? Black, you're okay, black, Jack. Venom lack. Venom lack. Oh, I, we were black. taught you're okay, Jack. I've heard that you're okay, Jack, too. I kind of like venom lack because it actually says venom in it, I think. And not poison. Yeah, I just like that a lot. 
So remember that rhyme, kids. But, um, you know, if there's ever any doubt, just, like, don't go and pick up the snake, man. I don't know. <laughs> that, that should be the rule just, like, all the don't time. Don't mess with the snake. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's mimicry. What's our next thing? Well, this is, in my opinion, one of the coolest ones. And it is active camouflage. And that is your ability to change colors. It is definitely cool And texture. One. So there are a lot of different kinds of camouflages that use active camouflage. And uh, Katie wrote my notes for me today because I worked really late. And <laughs> spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about something a little bit different. Because cuttlefish are too cool to oh, not talk about. Oh, I totally thought I wrote cuttlefish you on sure here. You sure did. So we're going to talk about All right. them. You wrote octopus. I mean, it's a lot of... Uh, They're not the same. Cephalopods. <laughs> They're not the same. Well, I mean, I think too. this functions pretty similarly. Emily, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Go on. I'll let you go until you, until you mess it up. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I got really into cuttlefish when I was in like middle school because we went to an IMAX movie where we watched them camouflage and then the little like ED tentacles came out and like snatched it and since it was IMAX it was 3D and I just remember screaming a lot um but that's an aside so how cuttlefish camouflage is pretty fascinating um they have these cells called chromatophores and there's usually three different layers of the cells and they're all different colors in a layer. So there's, there's a yellow layer, a red layer, and a brown layer. I'm reading this off of um, a, some biology syllabus from a college. <laughs> very. Yeah. I'm assuming it's accurate. It's <laughs> very me, intellectual there. EU. But basically what happens is when they want to change color or texture. Oh, I guess it's just color for this one. Their chromatophores can expand or contract to make the different colors. So just like um, on a TV screen, there's like three basic colors, like old ones at least that you'd see, and how those all like will turn on and off to make the different color of the moving picture. That's kind of how the cells work on a cuttlefish's back. That's Is crazy. that correct, Emily? Yeah, I was gonna tell you. I was gonna wait till you get till the end to tell this story, but I'm gonna interrupt you now and tell you it because it's so <laughs> cute. Um, I used to work at a facility that had um, an octopus, um, and this little kid came up to me and he was asking me, um, "How did they change colors?" And I said, "Oh, well, they have these cells called chromatophores and blah 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 blah." And he said, "No, Miss Emily, it's just happiness flowing through their bodies." Oh! <laughs> No, excuse me, Miss Emily, please. And I died that day. <laughs> All right. Scratch Enough everything with your chromatophores. Nothing to do with chromatophores. It's, it's just, loved. that's, oh, that's so good. It was very good. It was the most wholesome thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, that made me so happy. I'm so happy right now. Yep. It was this cute little kid. Happiness throat. Oh, I want to change color so I can have happiness flowing through my body. Well, it's interesting because like octopus and cuttlefish, they just alter their appearance. That color change happens to camouflage. Whereas others like chameleons, it is a behavioral communication thing. Well, and it can be communication with cuttlefish too, depending on the situation. Um, and we all know that cuttlefish and octopus are too smart for their own good, so they probably are doing everything all at once. What's that video where it's, like, two cuttlefish, and they're both disguised, like, they're disguising themselves as, like, some sort of crab, 
and then they oh come up God, to yes. each other and they're like, hey, wait, you're cuttlefish. <laughs> and they both change back to like cuttlefish and they're like, wait. <laughs> Do you know what video I'm talking about? I don't know which video you're talking okay. about. Okay. I love I'm this video. I'm for it. They're it's a very smart. precious video. It smart. reminds me of the Spider-Man meme. Yes, exactly. They're like pointing at each other like, wait, you're me. Yeah. Well, there's also an octopus called the Mimic Octopus, which is really famous because of how well it mimics other sea creatures. Mm. Um, so that's kind of more mimicry, but they also will use active camouflage with mimicry together. But yeah. Um, other kinds of active camouflage can be like Arctic hares or Arctic foxes who in the springtime have a nice brown, cute coat. And then when fall rolls around, they actually grow their winter coat, which turns them bright white. So they can camouflage with their environment a little bit better. Nice. Um, and then peacock flounders, I am not familiar with. So Katie, what about oh, them? I have to remember where I saw peacock flounders. I'm they... looking it up. True, 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 true. They're cool. They look like oh, sand. they can just they can also change their color and pattern in just a, um in eight seconds flat. <laughs> uh, so similar sort of thing to octopus and cuttlefish. So lots of chromatophores happening and lots of changing. Oh, can I mention polar bears really fast? Yeah. Yes. So oh, that's a good one. Some species have they're called uh. Well, they're microscopic physical structures that act like prisms reflecting and scattering light to produce a color that is different from their skin. So polar bears, for example, have black skin. Uh, however, their translucent fur reflects the sunlight and snow of its habitat, which makes the bear appear white. So if you were to actually take like a tuft of polar bear fur and hold it up like under a microscope or whatever, it is see-through. It is translucent. Uh, which is mind-boggling to me. It's so cool. It's insane. I love polar bears. Yeah. Wild. A little just chameleons. The reason, like, the communication with chameleons is when they're threatened, they don't change color to blend in. They actually change colors to warn other chameleons that there's danger nearby, which I think is really sweet of them. That's very and good. I just realized that we skipped olfactory, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Um, the one that I literally is the only one I wanted to talk about. The stinky one. This one is so cool. No, I... Okay. So, sorry. Olfactory camouflage. Real quick, guys. We're, we're about to let Emily go on a tirade about it is, her favorite camouflages, so I but, think it's going to be... Real like quick. Camouflage of the nose camouflage of the scent animals can hide from predators by covering up their smell or masking themselves in another species smell so a lot of times you may like i know opossums do this as an example if they smell something or find something like poop for example that smells like another animal they're gonna roll in it they're gonna put it all over themselves, basically groom themselves with it so that they do not smell like an opossum. They smell like something else um, that is less likely to be hunted by a predator. Uh, usually it's going to be something that smells like that predator, perhaps. But some other really cool examples of olfactory camouflage are, have you guys ever heard of puff adders? <gasps> yes! Okay, so puff adder is a species of venomous viper um, they're found, uh, they're abundant across Africa, but they hunt their prey by ambush. So they lie in the same spot. Uh, apparently they can do this for weeks uh, and until something comes along their way. 
Uh, but doing this makes them really vulnerable to becoming someone else's dinner, uh, especially predators that have a really good sense of smell. So there's been a lot of research done on um, puff adders, but they noticed that puff adders that they were tracking um, out in the field, like as part of research, went undetected by dogs and tamed mongooses that they were using to track them. Uh, they would literally walk right over the snakes without spotting them. That's very so, impressive because dogs can find like, <laughs> they can find nothing in something. So they were trying to test out the idea that for some reason puff adders can't be sniffed out. And they trained dogs and meerkats to recognize and then match specific scents um, from an olfactory, like they call it a buffet. So all different smells. Uh, they had very little problem picking out the smells of five other snake species and even freshly shed puff adder skins. But live puff adders totally stumped them. Um, there's even a video of a... Um, African crested porcupine literally walking over one. Like oh it God. walks on top and the snake is like, excuse me. And it just keeps walking. Yikes. Like that is crazy. Uh, so there's still, I, I didn't see any explanation in this article in particular as to how they're able to do this, but somehow masking their scent. Uh, another example of this that I thought was cool is the Harlequin file fish. Ah, uh, they're cute. Yeah, they are really pretty uh, fish, I think. So they are, um, they live in coral reefs in the Indian and Pacific Oceans, and they do have a, a funky polka dot pattern, which does help with camouflage a little bit. It looks um, like a pair they, of 70s pants. They do. They're really, I mean, that's why they're called Harley Quinn fish. You know, they're just fun looking. But the fish also fends off predators by eating and smelling like the coral that it calls home. Uh, so they found uh, in a study that some coral-dwelling crabs couldn't even tell the difference between the smell of um, the harlequin filefish and the coral itself. Meanwhile, predatory cod seemed totally indifferent to the harlequins when the fish were presented alongside the coral they ate, no matter the coral type. Like, what? <laughs> How, weird, you, are, you are what you eat. <laughs> says the harley quinn file fish <laughs> so i just thought like that's a form of camouflage that you really wouldn't think about very much so i thought i just think it's neat stinky flage stinky flage there you go so emily yes talked about this before yes. we talked about our um ocean layers episode ah uh, yes and now i'm just gonna let you go off about counter illumination Yes. Uh, so you've heard of counter shading. Well, let me introduce you to counter shading's bigger, badder brother, counter illumination. <laughs> so I'm going to start with the bobtail squid, which is the first uh, counter illumination thing that like has been deeply studied. Um, we talked a lot on the other episode about the fish that do it, the midshipman fish. Um, that like they light up their bellies to match the ocean around them as the light changes. Okay, we get it. It's cool. Now this is even cooler. Um, the bobtail squid, they have a symbiotic relationship with this bacteria, scientific name Vibrio fisheri. Also, I want you all to know that I typed that in and my Google Docs corrected it because I've typed that before in papers. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you're not spelling that right. We know how to spell this. And I was like, you're right. We do know how to spell this. 
Um, but they have a symbiotic relationship with the bacteria and that bacteria sends the light around them and they fluoresce or light up uh, to match around them. So the bobtail squid are freaking invisible all the time. Um, it's amazing. They're very cute. If you've never seen what a bobtail squid looks like, they're very cute and small. We love um, they're so cute. I just love them. Um, but they've been heavily studied. Um, they have a whole ass like light organ that's full of these um, bacteria, which lights up. Um, so we love that. Very cool. Um, there are some other types of ocean related um, camouflage um, besides counter illumination that I just want to mention really quick. Um, and one of them is literally just transparency. If you're, <laughs> if you are clear, nobody can see you. Um, this works Flawless really logic. well for jellyfish. <laughs> um, this includes comb jelly, salps, tunicates, jelly organisms. Um, a lot of the times you will never even know you ran into one until your skin is burning. Um, <laughs> is that a personal ha- anecdote? Oh, just a few times over, um, particularly <laughs> box jellyfish. Um, oh, Oh yeah. Well, there's different types of, there's different types of box jellies. Yeah, I know, but still. Well, yeah. I mean, you can't see them. I mean, yes, you you shouldn't go in the water when the purple flag is up and they're like, it's box jellyfish time. Um, And you said, I said, uh, I'm going to go stand knee deep and then immediately regretted the decision. Immediately was stung. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Things are going well. Um, So that's one thing to do. Um, And then the other one is kind of like, just be a mirror. If you're reflecting things around you, no one will ever see you. Um, and this applies to many, 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 many fish. Um, popular examples are anchovies, silver sides, and sardines, who are very, very brightly silvery colored. Um, I don't know if either of you have been to Monterey Bay Aquarium, um, but they I have... Went to the Aquarium of Pacific, which was no. pretty cool. Okay. I think they, they do this at other aquariums, but Monterey Bay is the one that I know that I've seen it at, um, where they have a tank that's full of sardines, um, and they just swim... Um, like, like our bait balling, basically. Don't they um, have a, a live cam of that? Uh, they might. Uh, but it is very reflective. Like, you're looking at a mirror, um, which is really, really cool. And that is, again, oh. a very effective form of camouflage. It is also a very effective form of confusing whoever's trying to eat you um, because they can't single <laughs> you out. Um, nice. You know, if there are a thousand of you, there's a better chance you're not going to die. Same with zebras. It's true. Except they use disruptive coloration. And uh, killer whales do the same thing, um, but they're the ones doing the hunting. So <laughs> you think you think there's one killer whale? Spoiler alert: there are definitely more. Than that. <laughs> and you That's will not see them coming. Greatest nightmare. As it should you be. see like one killer whale, and then realize that means there's definitely not just one killer whale around. And that they're probably surrounding me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I think if I was like one of those people who like is kayaking in the Pacific Northwest, and then like a killer whale fin popped out of the water, I'd be like. Well, this is my last day on Earth. Goodbye. This has been fun. It's been real. It's been fun. It's time to go now. Um, Uh, Monterey Bay does have a open ocean sea cam. There are sardines in there, but I'm thinking they have a smaller exhibit. That's just sardines. Um, Okay. So that is our camouflage episode. Wrap it up, Abby. All right. So a lot of these methods of camouflage have been studied and used in human applications. Um, it's something called biomimicry for a lot of it, um, which we can probably do a whole episode about because that's also fascinating. But military gear, duh. Wildlife photography. <laughs> the animals are going to know you're there, but you can at least give them less warning by hiding. <laughs> that was a terrible way to put it, but. 
well, if you look like a bush, it's, you know, you're doing a little bit better. Like as a bush. Um, but yeah, so that's why camouflage is important as far as humans go is because we use it all the time. Um, and yeah. especially me, when I was in high school, I wore camo everything because I thought I was a redneck. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Pixar didn't happen. That's amazing. <laughs> I've, I've got, I, I'll show you later. Um, <laughs> so some things to wrap up episode as far as our conservation concert. Conversation. Con- we made a mistake when we named this segment. But no, I don't think we did. I think we just can't talk sometimes. All the time. We've proved it over and over again that the words are not the problem. We are the problem. <laughs> um, our conservation conversation. Make windows birds safe. So we talked about that at the top of the episode of the conservation news. But it really goes with the theme tonight. It does. Don't let your windows be camouflage <laughs> or I'm going to come find you and have Kenzie break your knees. She want to keep our birdies safe, especially during migration season. Um, and then next time you're on a hike, make sure that you look into ways which your local wildlife are able to blend into your surroundings. You probably pass about a hundred animals every time you go hiking and you just don't realize it. And it's the crazy same note, too, because the more you, I guess, I don't, it feels like the more you practice, the more animals you start to see. Absolutely. Like when I go on nature hikes with like my parents, for example, I spot like things from a mile away and they're like, what on earth? Like, oh, look, there's three gators and they're like, what? It's a a practice thing for sure. Um, I think additionally, it's important to this is why you part of the reason other than you don't want to destroy the wildlife habitats but that's why you stay on the path mm. because there are animals there that you may not see and are just trying to live their lives and you do not want to be the one to disrupt it because if it's a puff adder you're gonna have a bad time yeah luckily so, i don't think most of our listeners will encounter puff adders but i i know. sure hope not but just in case coral snakes stay on the path King snakes that is more likely yes well, stay on the path anyway and just be safe um, for you and for our animal friends because we like them. Yes. So, Katie, why don't you give us our everything our send-off? Else? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think we have any announcements, um, but nope. please do follow us on social media. Uh, we have Instagram, Facebook, and you can always contact us at conservationqueenspodcast at gmail.com and join our Patreon. We love our patrons. We're going to probably put out a um, exclusive patron patron uh, episode soon as well. Yes. Ooh, that should be maybe the frogs one question mark. You'll see listeners, especially if you join our Patreon. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. Now go out there and stay sustainable. Bye. 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 <laughs>